Hello, welcome to Talking Fit. I'm Paul Rose. I'm joined as ever by Luke Morgan. And today we are joined by Owen Gale. Owen, thanks very much for coming on the show. Welcome. Just in two or three minutes, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I guess my journey sort of started um, when I was about four. So I started, my background is martial arts originally. So I started in Taekwondo when I was about four years old. Um, I started competing in full contact competition from about five. And then, yeah, competed for a long while with that. Uh, I was like a black belt when I was eight and then second down black belt when I was 12. Um, and then from there, that kind of transitioned into mixed martial arts. And then I started competing in, in um, MMA. Uh, started off as an amateur fighter. Um, so at my peak as an amateur, I was ranked number one in the UK. And then the kind of sort of natural transition from that was to turn professional. Um, so I started competing in professional MMA. Um, at my peak, I probably, I was, I was a top 10 UK fighter, uh, maybe uh, one time, to, uh, maybe fifth um, in the UK. Uh, mainly sort of fighting UK, um, had some fights in Europe as well. Um, and then from there, I kind of retired from the MMA. Uh, that was in 2012. Um, and then I sort of just did some other stuff, just whatever, really just taking over and then sort of came back to MMA in 2016. Had a few more fights um, and haven't sort of fought since then. Um, and then in between all of that, um, I have a background in strength training as well. So from 2008, I started sort of learning to be um, a PT. So I got qualified as a PT. Um, and then I basically started training under a guy in Southampton called Tom Hibbert, who is a strength coach. Um, he's, he's kind of well known in the strength industry now. He's like um, sort of three times England's strongest man, Britain's strongest man, I think second at Worlds um, and Europe's. Um, and he's got like world records in uh, log press and stuff. Um, so I was like fortunate enough to sort of learn under him. Um, and then his mentor is Charles Poliquin, who's quite a sort of well-renowned um, strength coach. So I got to learn um, personally from him as well. because we, uh, His gym was kind of like um, the sort of one of the hubs in the UK if you want to learn from Charles Poliquin. Um, so that was quite good. Um, and because of that, I got to learn from loads of other um, top coaches um, from around the world. Um, and yeah, sort of done that ever since. And then I then got into calisthenics in, what was it now? Probably 2014, maybe. Um, as in calisthenics, yeah, sort of quite seriously. Um, and then I kind of just took everything I learned from sort of strength, traditional strength training, like all the sort of how to periodize stuff, um, training protocols, um, and just applied it basically to calisthenics um, to kind of differentiate myself from sort of other calisthenics coaches because you kind of find in a lot of calisthenics it's just kind of like oh here's the move you know just do it um, so I kind of took a more sort of sort of progressive structural way to sort of train my calisthenics um, and then from let's see 2000 and 15, I opened up um, a calisthenics training facility um, with my partner um, in Southampton. So we predominantly teach calisthenics um, to sort of all ages and all abilities. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now, really. Um, and then since then, just sort of dipping and dabbing in loads of different sports. I just kind of, I kind of get bored quite easily. So one minute I might be doing some form of like ultra race, and the next minute I might be training to try and beat some world record in a deadlift or something so yeah I just kind of try to stay, stay as sort of versatile as possible really and just make sure I'm sort of I guess trained and ready for anything I'm going to sort of just get my toes in really. So calisthenics or yep. for anyone who's unaware what that means body weight training essentially yep. obviously we, we tend to see the two extremes with that you see 
this is how you do a press up. I'll do it on your knees to make it easier. And yeah. then you'll see people flying around doing muscle ups and yeah. transitioning into a handstand and all that kind of stuff. So how do you fill that void in the middle in order to, to have a training facility that is based almost solely around calisthenics? Yeah. So we, our main objective is to, first of all, um, teach people the, the, the fundamentals really. So that's making sure that they can do um, good press ups, dips, pull ups, chin ups. Um, and obviously that will be regressed all the way back to as simple as, it could just be as simple as actually starting with, with um, like dumbbell presses, like traditional training if they're that weak. Um, Cause bodyweight training is tough. Um, people think, you know, it's, it's quite easy to bodyweight, but it is tough. Um, um, so yeah, it'd be sort of regressing them right back to the beginning, just depending on where that person is. Um, and then it's kind of like from there, they kind of find their own sort of path within calisthenics of where they want to sort of take it. So some, you find some people just want to get stronger, um, at the fundamentals, just get, you know, more stronger at pull-ups and, and dips and stuff. Um, whereas some people might want to maybe go into the more advanced movement. So taking sort of things like push-ups and dips into now handstands and handstand push-ups. Um, well, then you've got some people who want to maybe go down the sort of freestyle route, which is where you see people sort of jumping and doing crazy 360s on the bars. Um, but essentially the our main goal, first of all, is making sure they have the fundamentals down to a T, making sure that they have good mobility as well. So that's the other thing that sort of restricts people with calisthenics. Um, so bad mobility of the joints um, and they're sort of, you're, you're more likely to get injuries as well um, if you have sort of poor mobility. So that's the other thing we sort of work on as well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of generally how it works. And it's kind of, like I said, it's just, they kind of sort of find their own path of where they want to sort of delve off into the world of calisthenics. So did you find that calisthenics was quite a natural thing to move into having come from MMA and martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd always been training calisthenics, um, but it was always really just your sort of basic movements, um, your pull-ups and dips and stuff. And then sort of variations of pull-ups um, that I'd put in my training. Um, so yeah, I kind of just transitioned over it quite naturally. Um, I was kind of fortunate enough. I kind of was able to sort of jump in and kind of, sort of just fast track it really a little bit but what I did find is that I had to then after like a year I kind of had to like take a big step back and basically work on form because when I first got into it it's kind of like I want to do that I can do that and just kind of just muscle it somehow and then you start learning about proper technique and body position of of the movements um, and so I had to kind of pretty much sort of go back for everything and just correct everything. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I, it was kind of a easy transition for me. Um, and I'm quite small as well, which helps with calisthenics. If you're short, if you look at all gymnasts, they're all quite short. Um, so that helps as well. And the, the Poliquin background. So yes. <clears throat> for anyone who doesn't know Charles Poliquin, he is, or he, he was, he died a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, one of, if not the, top strength coach in the world um, yes. definitely one of the most highly regarded he's trained dozens of olympians and yeah. world record holders gold medalists across dozens of sports but he is renowned for a very traditional approach uh, to his training in sure. kind of more of the traditional bodybuilding powerlifting yes. kind of style yeah so how how have you taken that kind of training approach and style and, and applied it to, to calisthenics? Yeah, so I would say one big thing is utilizing training methods and protocols. So rather than just like, oh, we're just we're just gonna do five reps of this for sort of no random reason, making sure that uh, well, first of all, periodizing my, my training in the blocks. So I'll, I'll kind of take his concept of accumulation and intensification phases. For me, I work well with two-week blocks. So I have a two-week block of accumulation, then a two-week block of intensification, and that'll switch back and forth. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, in short, basically going from sort of um, a little bit more volume to a little bit more sort of um, 
uh, intense weight and stuff. Um, and then using the rep protocols. Um, so there's loads of like, and the one he was sort of famous for was uh, GVT, German volume, um, GVT, German volume, German. Maybe not so great for training for strength for calisthenics, but those kind of protocols, there's so many out there, um, which are all trial and tested, you know, over dozens of people and, and athletes, um, and they all work. So it's, it's utilizing those, using things like tempo, which is not used a lot. Um, maybe more so now, it's, it's sort of caught on now. Um, but yeah, utilizing that. Um, and I guess, um, I'd say that was the main things, really. Yeah, that would be the main thing. That's kind of what I would say would separate my training because what I found, like I said earlier, is within calisthenics, you, you seem to get, there, don't get me wrong, there's some great trainers out there in calisthenics, but a lot is, is kind of like people who are just, they're just natural freaks and just really good at calisthenics. They can just look at something and go, yeah, I can do that. And they can just do it. And then to then try and teach it to someone is a whole different story. Um, and trying to sort of break it down and slowly progress someone through something with realistic steps is tough. Um, so I just found that sort of background that I got from studying under those guys kind of just worked really well. Um, obviously I had to, fiddle a little bit because it doesn't all cross over exactly but the kind of i guess the the foundations are still kind of all the same really what i like about calisthenics is it really sort of brings out weaknesses in people yeah so for sure. people first whatever level people are at whether they've been training for years or if they've just got into training and they start enjoying the heavy weight based stuff mm -hmm. they see somebody doing muscle ups or whatever it is and it, it inspires them or sparks a bit of interest for them and they give it a go yep and you do see very sloppy technique because instantly people are like they're doing it that way i've got to do it that way and you lots of jerky kind of movement so it's quite interesting to hear you say that especially what you've done over the years it's very interesting to hear you say that you started got really into it and then took a step back to work on your technique I don't think many people do work on their technique and I think they get found out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And it's, it's what leads to, to injuries eventually in the long term, you know, it's all good short term, but I, I see it massively in calisthenics. Like some of the top guys out there, if you speak to them on a personal level, a lot of them are suffering now, um, especially from like mobility. Not, it was kind of, I guess when a lot of people first, when calisthenics got really big, no one was really interested in mobility stuff um and it's just caught up with people now um and it, i guess you know it is boring it doesn't look great in the gym you know lifting like little bands and little little one kilo dumbbells um but i, I think things like that is like that's the key to sort of a long-term career um and sort of avoiding injuries and stuff yeah it's, it's ego isn't it and, and you're only really as strong just... as your weakest link aren't you yeah, yeah. exactly that's it yeah. Exactly. And we've we've all been there. We've all been that that guy that goes in the gym and just chucks a bit more weight on every time you get in there. And yeah, you know, a squat is a prime example of it. You stick a bit more weight on your back squat every week. And you go, oh, I'm getting stronger. I'm getting stronger. Yeah, but actually, you're just losing a little bit of range every time you stick a bit of weight on. Then you're no more no stronger than you were when you started. It's just knowing to to leave your ego behind sometimes. Take a step back and that's it. Like you said, slow it down, go back to basics and, and for sure affect the movement. And it it might be boring in the short term, but in the long term it's gonna it's gonna benefit you a lot more. No, that's it, yeah. I think I think another thing as well that I um going back to stuff that I took from like um uh, Pollocon's teachings and stuff was was kind of like because uh, he goes into a lot of um structural balance work and make sure making sure that you're structurally balanced um and using assistance work to bring up um, certain lifts um, to help with your big power lifts. So obviously everyone thinks, you know, just lift more and more reps to get better at bench. But then if you train things like track free raises, um, external rotators and stuff, just those alone will obviously keep the health of your sort of joints as well, but also bring up numbers and, and it transitions over to calisthenics just, just as much as well. Um, and I think that's sort of another sort of thing that people have kind of 
not really thought about within the world of sort of calisthenics as well. No, obviously we've discussed quite a few things so far. You dipped yep. into the fact that you're getting into ultra running or you have been getting into ultra, ultra yep. running. Yeah. Do you want to expand a little bit about that? But more importantly, yeah, sure. Yeah. About how calisthenics has helped with that at all. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've never, I've never really been much of a runner really. I mean, um, I mean, in terms of training, I'm, I'm like super fast twitch. Like I'm like just all out explosive for like 10 seconds and that's it. I'm done. Um, that's just, just how I am. Um, just genetically. So I've never been a big fan of running at all. I kind of, I mean, I kind of got into running, um, through my partner who had already run it before and just sort of, just sort of started getting into it. I wasn't great at it. Um, and then we just entered, what did we enter? I think we entered a 10K. That was my first ever sort of real experience of proper running. It was a new forest marathon, but we, um, I wanted to do the 5K because I wasn't really ready for a 10K, but it was sold out. It was about three days before it was meant to be. So the 10K was open, so we did that. Ran that. It wasn't too bad time to be fair, um, but it killed me. I basically just went in and tried to keep up with the top runners, which lasted for about 15 minutes and then <laughs> didn't last much longer. Um, but ran that. I did pretty well. I think I came 12th in that. So it was, it was all right, to be fair. And then I went and did a 5K after that and ran a decent time, um, about 18 minutes. And then from there, um, I kind of just jumped straight into, what did I do after that? Um, I think I did a a 45k uh, trail and then four weeks later I did a 50k trail and then about six weeks later I did a 90 mile ultra in Snowdonia so big jumps didn't really train for them too well um like when I look back through my Strava it's quite funny because I think I was doing about 30k a week which isn't really much for that sort of distance um but for me it was kind of more like I loved the challenge and the the kind of how it almost broke me. Like kind of like the feeling of finding something that sort of breaks me and just to see whether I can sort of push through it or not. And that's kind of what I sort of, I guess, got off on. So yeah, I did the, that 90 miler, finished it. It was like 32 hours or so. Got trench foot halfway through. Didn't at the time, didn't really understand about foot health. So I just, kept pushing with wet socks and wet shoes um, through the it was pretty much raining all the time. It was in winter, it was a winter, winter one. So I got trench foot um, and then kind of hobbled for the remainder of the, the race. But yeah, finished that. And then what happened after that? From there, so from there I found out about foul running and that kind of um, was a little bit more up my street. So just the fact that it's kind of like, look, start here, you've got to get there. How you get there is kind of up to you almost. That's kind of how it is. And I kind of like that idea. And then I just came across something called the Bob Graham round. Yeah, which is a foul, it's a 24 hour foul running challenge in um, the Lake Districts. And it's basically, you have, you've got a 24 hour time limit. I think the Bob Graham, I think it's 42 peaks that you've got a summit in a specific order. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, you have to have um, support runners with you at all times, um, at least one. So they kind of witness you summit in these mountains. And then you usually have like a support crew, what a road crew who kind of uh, meet at checkpoints to top you up with food and stuff. So I found out about that and I was like, that's what I want to do. So I found some groups on Facebook um, and everyone's quite helpful in there. And, and some guy was like, look, I'm doing one. I think it was like literally next week. Need some support runners. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. So I signed up for that and he said, look, I, I'm going for an 18 hour pace. So is that okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, with no idea of what that meant at all. So I went out there, did that. I did, I signed up for two legs with him. I did one in the end. Because once I did that one, I was kind of done. I pretty much was just struggling to keep up with these guys all the way through. Um, it was a case of like, I lose them on the, on the climbs and then I have to sprint the, the flats downhills to catch up with them but then as soon as there's another climb I lose them again but yeah I loved that so um 
I was kind of like, yeah, this is something I definitely would love to do. Um, so kind of ever since then, I was just kind of like training for that, really. Wasn't really interested in races. It was just more challenges. So I was training for that. Then I found out that there was two others exactly the same. Um, so there's one called the Paddy Buckley, which is the exact same thing, but it's in Snowdonia in Wales. Um, and then there's one called the Charlie Ramsey, which is the same thing, but it's in Scotland. And I thought, oh, I wonder if um, anyone's done all of them. So I started researching and then I found out it is a legit thing. People do do all of them. Um, it's usually spread over like maybe, I don't know, a year or uh, there were some people who had done them within a month. And I was like, I wonder if anyone's done them back to back, one after the other. And there was, there was one guy I found, um, he did it back in the 80s. It was like 30 odd years ago now. He did it. It took him like 86 hours. Um, so I kind of thought, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I want to try to beat his 86 hours. Um, so I basically worked with a guy um, called Damien Hall, who's um, an ultra runner. He's, he's uh, just done pretty, down, just, yeah, he just set the record for that. Yeah. So I worked for him for about, I've been working with him probably, it's probably been, it's been about nine months and he was helping me train for this. Got a massive sort of support crew of people. Most of them, I don't know them. Um, it's just through Facebook groups. Um, so I had massive, there's about 30 people involved. Um, and it's, and yeah, the plan was to basically go for that, start from Scotland, smash that out, drive to Lake District, smash that one out, drive to Wales, smash that one out. August the 28th, I think. So bank holiday weekend coming up is when it was um, obviously scheduled for. No, it wasn't. It was scheduled for May. Sorry, I think May. And then lockdown happened in March. So I still kept positive, still kept training. Problem was I couldn't really get to mountains and around where I live in Southampton, New Forest is as hilly as it gets, uh, maybe South Downs, but it's, it's still not great. You can't compare it to, to the mountains. Um, but kept training, rescheduled it for August, the bank holiday coming up. Um, but I literally, about a week or two ago, I kind of decided to, to cancel it, postpone it, just for various reasons. Um, but yeah, it's a bit unfortunate. I, I went and did the Bob Graham about a month ago, but I did a solo, unsupported one. But uh, yeah, you could, I could kind of tell that I'd missed sort of four months of not training in the hills. Still felt good. But yeah, that's kind of it really with my journey, I guess, of ultra And So I kind of just went from like a couple of little small five sort of 10Ks and was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And as usual, I just sort of always just chuck myself in the deep end and just pretty, try to just find, okay, what's the sort of one of the toughest things I can do within this and just sort of just go for it. Um, I, I just rather that. I like sort of just chucking myself straight in and, and just going for it. But yeah, that's pretty much it until now. Yeah, it's funny with the, the sort of the Bob Grahams and the Paddy Buckleys and that, because they, they really seem to have grown in the last couple mm. of years. I, yeah. I, I'd never heard of them before a couple of years ago. And now every few weeks on Facebook or something, I'm seeing someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, and there are yeah, few, always. Yeah, and there, there are a few, like there's Abraham's Tea Round now, which is a bit shorter. I think it's about 30 miles uh, in the Lake District. Yeah. Um, and, slightly fewer peaks and there are those smaller ones popping up for people that yeah. don't want yeah. the bigger ones and it. it's just the, the growth of trail running and fell running and ultra running generally isn't it it's just it's yeah good and Damien Hall like you said recently broke the record for the Pennine Way yeah there's a guy he might finish now actually trying to do Land's End John O'Groats um in under 10 days okay yeah insane there was the woman a few weeks ago did it in yeah. two and a half days. And yeah. Loads of these huge, yeah. huge ultras going on at the moment. There's, there's actually, there's a guy right now, right now he's doing, so the one that I was meant to be doing next week, um, he's doing that as we speak now. But he's, he's rather than getting driven to each location, he's cycling to each location. It's, a, it's an American guy. His name's John Kelly. He's won the Barkley Marathon before. Yeah, yeah he lives um, uh, sort of Bristol way, I think. Yeah, so he's doing that right now. He, it's his second attempt. He did it last year, um, but he, I think he was it was sleep. He gave himself a hundred hours, and he it just was he couldn't get enough sleep, um, so he never finished it. So this time he's given himself hundred and twenty hours, hoping that some extra sleep, um, which I think he'll be successful. He yeah. actually got the Pennine Way record the week before. He did. Damien Hall. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a lot of recovery either. No, no. no. <laughs> 
No. But no, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. I, you know, that's what that's all those guys do. Yeah. And then there's another guy actually trying to do all the Monroes in Scotland uh, at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think he was cycling and kayaking between all of them as well. I can't oh, wow. What time, it was about six or seven days he's trying to do it in. Really? Um, Jeez. It's just, yeah, different level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you talked about kind of wanting to see how far you can push yourself and like almost enjoying the sort of pain and suffering side of it. Yeah. Do you think that's something that came from, from the MMA background and because it takes a particular mindset to go out and let someone, well, not let you trying to stop them, but get punched and kicked and yeah. 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 Um, submission holes and stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I've been asked this question before. I, I really don't know where it comes from. Yeah, I, I don't know, like the, I've just always found like the tougher something is, the better I perform. Like I perform so much better. If something's easy, like I, I don't perform that well and I get quite lazy, um, which is why a lot of the time I do these stuff with like minimal training, just because in my head I'm like, well, if I'm massively prepared, it's gonna be easy. But yeah, I, I can't really say where, it comes from um i mean definitely yeah i had it all throughout the fight and i guess i mean starting from four i mean if it has come from that it would make sense because it's i mean it's pretty much you know it's pretty much from from day dot really um embedded into me that you know pain and stuff is it's just part of the norm really um getting hit getting hurt um so i guess it's yeah just become kind of the normality to me really yeah, I don't really look at it as, and a lot of people look at it as, oh, I don't know how you could do that, but I don't know, it's just, just, to me, it's just like a normal thing, really. Have you got a long list of sort of injuries that you've had sport-related throughout your life? It, injuries, sorry. Yeah. Do you know what? I've, I've, been, I've been pretty lucky. Um, I mean, I have had some. Um, I mean, through, through fighting, black eyes, cuts and stuff, Obviously, had those bits. The worst I got in my MMA career was a fractured jaw, but sounds worse than what it was. It wasn't too bad. All all it really did was just I wasn't able to chew on food. That's pretty much it. I I think um I think it happened. It happened um from a fight. I don't didn't even know it happened to be fair. And I was actually due to fight two weeks later after. Um, and I ended up having to pull out of that fight because of it. But that is, I'm pretty sure, yeah, that's the worst injury I had in MMA. Um, I took a random boxing fight once. It was just a, a fight, they needed a fighter, and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, so I signed up for that. Somehow managed to break my ankle in that one. Snapped it in two places. Real freak sort of accident, um, which, which is a bit weird, really, because like, you'd think that sort of thing would happen in MMA where you can kick. Um, but it, it happened to happen in a boxing match. So that's probably the worst in fine. And then other than that, I had, oh, I did. There was an, an ultra actually I did called Last One Standing. So it's, it's a four mile loop, pretty flat trail that you run on the hour, every hour. So if I run it within 40 minutes, I can chill for 20 minutes. And then you keep doing it until there's one person left. It was a, basically, it was a qualifier to get into one in America by the guy who makes the Barkley Marathon. Oh, yeah. I forget what it's called now. Um, didn't train for it again, as usual. I was just like, ah, I'll be fine. I'm going to smash this. Like I thought, it's a mental thing. Do you know what I mean? It's, like, it's a slow pace. Like, it's real slow. You don't have to run it fast. I thought, I'll destroy this. Um, obviously, physically, body wasn't prepared for that kind of distance. And at about 40 miles in, I, I tore... Uh, a ligament in my ankle, um, which is pretty painful. I stupidly carried on running for another, until I got to 102 miles. And by that point, couldn't run no more. I was on that last lap, I was, I was walking the lap. It took me two hours to do the final lap. So yeah, that put me out for a while. And that's it. That's the only injuries I've actually had. So yeah, yeah I've been, been all right. Running and walking on. <laughs> An injured ankle for 60 miles usually isn't the best advice. Uh, do you know what? It was, I look back, it was like the stupidest thing really to have done. And like, if I, if it was anyone else, I'd be like, you're done, stop. There's no need to go on. Like, what's the point? But um, 
for me, I was I I in, I, I was something convinced I was going to win it. I genuinely was. I was like, I know this is, this is right up my street. It's not super fast, and I'm not a natural sort of runner. So I'm always going to be probably a slightly slower runner than a lot of these ultra runners um, for like the pace that they can keep for a long distance. But I thought it doesn't really matter how fast you are because everyone can hold the speed of doing four miles an hour. So I thought it's just, you know, it's just going to be all in the head. Who's going to give up first? So in my head, I was like, I know I can smash this. So I was kind of just stubborn, really. I was like, I'm not losing this. There's no way. And it was just, I guess, it's just a case of literally the body had just shut down. There was nothing, literally, I couldn't, couldn't even walk anymore. So, yeah, not a great idea. And then I had to drive, drive as well, <laughs> two and a half hours back home. <laughs> so MMA, yeah. see, for most people, um, yeah. They think of MMA or certainly professional MMA. It's UFC is kind of the mm-hmm. main globally. So, how does kind of pro MMA in this country compare with with that? Is there any comparison at all? Or obviously, it's the same sport, but beyond that, yeah, I I'd say um, I mean, so my knowledge has never been as great because I've never followed MMA. Like a lot of the time when I get into a sport, I choose not to follow the sport. I, I don't like to watch what other people's doing. I just kind of just do my own thing. Um, but kind of from what I saw, I would say like the levels here are behind. Um, and a lot of that is like America, America, for example, their wrestling is on another level. Um, I mean, it's, they do it in school. So, you know, it's embedded into them from a young age. And wrestling kind of is a big part of MMA. Like, that can determine whether you want to keep it stood up or whether you want to take it to the ground. But, I mean, definitely over the years now, MMA is, it has picked up massively, like, in the UK. Like, when I got into it, no one really knew knew much about MMA. It wasn't talked about at all. Um, I think when I started my weight class, it didn't exist. It did like I had to fight at a higher weight class because there was some, a weight class for me at the time. And what you would find is it'd be like like a boxer who's just crossed over into MMA, or a jiu-jitsu guy who's crossed over. Um, so you've then got to learn all these other skills. Whereas now, where it's quite commercial now, MMA, you've got young kids coming in, and they're straight away learning mixed martial arts as a whole. So from the get-go, they're learning all these different um, types of martial arts. Um, and I think that is now just sort of up the level um, because everyone's sort of getting everything straight away rather than spending years and years on one sort of discipline and then suddenly like, oh, I need to learn all these other disciplines. So like, for me, that's what I always found difficult. Like I was a stand-up fighter. Um, so I was known to be good on my feet, um, but knowing that I would be the weaker fighter on the floor because jiu-jitsu was like a whole, I, I had no idea it even existed, to be honest, when I started. So yeah, I'd say probably UK is behind, but the levels definitely are getting up there now. And and the other thing is like a lot of fighters these days now, they're they're traveling around the world, training all across with people and stuff and networking. So the levels are just constantly elevating really. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely up there though. It's definitely up there. I mean, if you look at how many UK fighters you have now in promotions like UFC, and others um there's a lot now compared to back in the day like you barely find you'd find like you know the odd one or two uk fighters in the top promotions but now there's, there's loads and even welsh fighters now like i think they just signed another female welsh fighter ufc there's like five welsh fighters now in ufc so yeah yeah it's definitely picking up now definitely how did you get into it obviously it was it came from taekwondo um but was it just one day someone said oh you should have a go at this or it was, what was it called? Hold on. I think there used to be a channel called Bravo. don't know if you know Bravo. You remember Bravo? He used to come on like cable TV or, or whatever. And they used to show Page Rage. Today's equivalent to, what do we have in the UK? Bama or Cage Warriors, which are probably two of the big um, UK promotions. Um, and it, I just used to watch that and used to be like, oh, yeah, 
I'd love to give that a go. And I probably spent about five years just sort of coming and iron about doing it. Um, and then just one day I was like, right, just, just Google find a gym. And then the nearest I could find to me at the time was sort of it was Gosport at the time. So yeah, and then just literally just rocked up. Um, and, and just got hooked ever since. Like, as soon as I went there, I was literally like, this is, yeah, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. Although I didn't go there with the intent to compete. It was just to learn, really. That was all. Um, I just wanted to learn something new and different. And then kind of just got, I guess, I guess um, the coaches saw where I had a lot of experience with fighting. It was like, okay, this guy can pretty much just jump in, teach him the basics. And then you kind of get peer pressured into competing in and then next thing you know it's like taking over your life is it something that you do you teach it at all in your in your facility or do you just stay well away from it um i have done I, not in a class format um i i do now and then teach privates to people um i mean i don't it's the thing is i don't really teach much anymore as it is um the only stuff i really do at my place now is just classes um i don't teach sort of one-to-ones much anymore but um in the past i have taught one-to-one stuff um the reason the main reason i haven't ever taught classes is just because one we're not i mean we have like bags and stuff and matted areas but we're not a mixed martial arts gym and we've got local gyms that i get on with really well um who are geared up for it and it's like, I'd rather send them there than be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll teach it. And I, I'd probably say I don't massively enjoy teaching MMA. I like training it myself, I like competing in it, but I don't really have the passion to teach it. And I just find if, if I don't have that sort of passion to teach something, then I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not going to give 100% to the client. So I'd rather send them to someone who, you know, that's what they do. It just sort of makes sense really to me. So I've never really gone down that route. Do you find it's, it's one of those sports where someone will come in and say, oh, I want to I wanna start MMA. Mm. And they've kind of watched a lot of Conor McGregor and assume they can do it and they're a, a pro already. And so it's just really yeah. hard to actually break down their mindset and get them to realise that actually they know nothing and they're... Yeah, yeah. You, you see it all the time. I mean... I, even I did it like the first day I went in I was like yeah I'm strong and um the thing is as soon as you step in and start rolling with someone so grappling like they realized pretty soon and kind of brought down a few pegs like pretty instantly which is what happened to me like I went in first thinking yeah like I'll ragged all these people around and then you end up just like getting tapped out in a weird position that you've never seen in your life by someone half your size. And you're like, what the hell is going on? But yeah, you see it all the time, all the time. Um, and I think most, I mean, you get some people who can't deal with it and they don't like it. Um, but most of the time people appreciate it and sort of straight, you know, pretty soon sort of understand like, wow, okay, this is, there's way more skill involved in this than what I thought. Cause I guess to the outside eye, it kind of just looks like a lot of just brute force and power and stuff, which there is, but there's so much sort of technique going on that you just don't see unless you know what you're sort of looking for. But yeah, yeah. You see it all the time, all the time. Yeah. I remember seeing a, or not seeing, listening to a podcast ages ago and yeah. one of the hosts on there had a long sort of wrestling and jujitsu MMA mm. background yeah and the way he put it was imagine you've never held a basketball before in your life and you go and play one-on-one with LeBron James like you're just going to be completely out your depth you're going to get yeah. dominated yeah it's exactly the same thing yeah yeah no exactly that exactly that yeah and it's like even I mean I've got so I I mean this would have been years ago now so when I used to fight I was fighting at flyweight which is 57 kilos that would have been the way I would have to weigh in that and like I've had friends who would have weighed like 90 kilos and they're like, oh, let's have a little, a little, a little roll around. Um, and like you, you'd assume someone that big would be able to dominate someone that small, but it's just because of, just because I know what I'm doing and know what I'm looking for. It's, it's crazy how sort of you can kind of dominate someone that big. 
um, just by knowing what you're doing. Um, and it just shows why technique does play a massive role. Obviously, if that person sat on top of me, different story, I'm probably not getting up. Mm. Um, if he started just wailing down on me. But, you know, generally speaking, like, yeah, it's, yeah, like skill is a, a massive part. Um, and then I think just the strength and stuff, all that, that's just like the icing on the cake. That's, you know, if you've got that on top of the skill. So the way you were first introduced to us, going off yes. in a different direction, yep. the fruitarian cage fighter. So, <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. Kind of what is fruitarianism? How did you get into that? How, what's the story behind that? So... Fruitarianism is, is, uh, is, I guess, a diet, a lifestyle. There's kind of what I've kind of found throughout the years. There's kind of two variations to it. You've got, you've got some people who will say that it's a diet that consists of just eating um, fruits. And that is it. So that's pretty much just the pulp of the fruit. Just, just fruit. Nothing else. Um, then you've got other people who will say that it's um, fruits, um, but then you can also include nuts and seeds. And their take on that is sort of their, the, the nuts and seeds come from the fruits. Um, so, you know, you can eat those as well. And that's pretty much it. You've got a lot of people out there. If you, if you like start YouTubing it and stuff, um, and Instagram, um, just any social media, um, you'll find that there's a lot of people who sort of, will say how this is the, I guess, the most optimal diet for man. Um, and, you know, it will detox the system um, and basically just make you, I guess, you a better you. And I, I guess I kind of always found it quite fascinating and sort of intriguing. Um, and I guess where it's extreme again, that's why I guess I was probably drawn to it. So, yeah, I guess it started my if if i rewind back like my diet um when i sort of got into training um and eating quite seriously was kind of paleo i guess that's because i was influenced by um sort of public teachings and stuff um so i was i probably did that for a good five years straight which is essentially just a lot of meat high fat low carb um although i probably did eat quite a bit of carbs just because i could get away with it because i'm quite um insulin sensitive so did that five years and then it kind of started as like, well, I want to see what this diet could do. Cause like I started hearing about, there was some fruit and bodybuilders out there and stuff and then some strength athletes. So I thought, well, let's see what it can do. So I kind of transitioned into veganism to begin with, did that for, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, three years or so. Um, and then that transitioned into, um, raw a raw diet which is basically pretty much anything um still a vegan based diet but it's all raw so you don't cook your food no more did that for a good while that's i can't remember again probably at least a year and then just slowly started transitioning to predominantly fruit um the way that i did it was it was all fruit that I was eating um however i would supplement that fruit with um sea algae so certain seaweeds i'd still have nuts and seeds in there um, did that for quite a few years. I think I probably did it for like a good three years or so, maybe more. I did that. It worked all right. I was, yeah, I was okay. Still training and stuff. Then I then decided I wanted to see sort of how far I could kind of take the food diet and what it was actually capable of. Um, and this is where I thought, right, I want to see how much muscle you can build on a fruit diet. So there are some, there's quite a few fruitarian bodybuilders out there and I'm YouTubing them, Instagramming them, looking at them and I'm like, okay, yeah, you are bodybuilding in terms of your training to try and, you know, build, but like aesthetically looking at them, you would say they're almost malnourished looking, don't look healthy, no muscle mass at all. So I was like, okay, I just felt if anyone's going to be able to give it a good go, I was like, I've already spent years and years and years transitioning to this diet. So it's not like I'm just chucking myself in the deep end now and I've got the training experience. So that should be the best recipe for if it was going to work for it to work. 
Um, so I basically started training like a bodybuilder with the fruit diet to sort of see what I could do with it. Um, so I, I basically documented this on YouTube. Like I'm not a massive social media um, user, especially on YouTube, but I ended up documenting this on YouTube. Um, I think it was like across eight episodes or so. And yeah, like I said, it was just to see how much muscle you can build. That was it. Nothing else to it. Um, so I kind of, the, the first approach was um, to include nuts and seeds with the fruit. And I just took a really simple approach, which was like, train hard, eat lots. Just simple as that. Didn't want to think too much into it. So that's what I did. Um, so I think for, for the first, oh, what was it? It must have been a couple months. I was eating about 5,000 calories a day of fruit, which is hard to do, which eventually that had to become smoothies because I just couldn't physically eat that much. Probably training maybe six times a day. And I ended up putting on three kilos and it was all of fat, just fat, um, no lean mass at all. And felt pretty shit as well, to be honest, bloated all the time. Um, then I started basically just to start to tweak everything. Um, so the first thing that I did was um, I started to decrease the amount of I was eating. I think I must have dropped to maybe two and a half thousand, something like that. I actually ended up dropping the amount I, I trained. So I was actually training less. So I dropped to about four days a week. And then slowly I started making changes bit by bit. So it was things like looking at certain fruits and certain amino acids. Um, like I think glutamine was one of them. I think lysine or leucine, can't remember now. Um, but certain amino acids um, to help build muscle. I was looking what fruits have these. And I was trying to get more of those in. I was using like smoothies with these aminos in as well for like sort of intra smoothies during my workout. And anyway, cut the long story short, eventually I, I did this for seven months straight. I ended up putting on about three kilos of lean muscle mass and that was and body weight. Uh, I lost about 2.8% body fat. I think I, I was around, I think I must've gone from like somewhere around 10% body fat dropped to about eight or so. This is using biosignature, which is polyquins. I know there's loads of method to use um, body fat, but this is the method we used. And I mean, cause it's the same one I used at the beginning and the same one at the end. There's still obviously a difference. So I did put on muscle mass picture wise. If you look at the before and after, it's, it's a very, very obvious like, difference um that it was you know successful you wouldn't look at me i mean comparing me to an actual bodybuilder you wouldn't be like oh he's a bodybuilder um obviously it's not on that level at all but you can see there's a massive difference um however what happened was it was it was things like it was my health basically that deteriorated so throughout this whole process i was i was just getting worse and worse with like tiredness so like every day I'd, I'd wake up with like a, I guess like a hangover type feeling. That's the only way I can kind of explain it. It was like a struggle to wake up every day. Every, every day I'd need like a couple, two to three hour nap just to be able to function. I just couldn't stay up. I guess kind of depressed quite a lot. Like a lot of lack of motivation to train. It was hard to get in the gym. Things like sex drive, all that kind of stuff, just gone. So Health-wise, it wasn't great. I got all my bloods done before, during, after. Everything declined. It was all within... I know everyone's got their different numbers of norms. Um, I just went off a set of numbers. Um, I went off two sets of numbers. One was NHS. One was through... There's like... Uh, so in naturopathy, um, so naturopaths, they have their numbers. Because I'd gone to see a uh, naturopath as well, just to get their perspective on what they thought. So my numbers had all dropped of everything we're talking things like i don't know from like b12 uh, vitamin d um what else I, can't, I can't remember i got tested on everything everything you could possibly think of i got tested for it was all within the ranges but it, it was like right down on the minimum from where i first started it was right on the minimum before deficiency apart from b12 that had gone so low it was it was apparently dangerously low 
I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but let's just say, for example, you must be a minimum of, say, 200. That's what the number is. Mine was on, like, 20. That's, how, that's like, how bad it was. So I, the first thing, obviously, the doctors said was, like, we need to get you on B12 injections now. Like, you need to start on a course. At this point, I kind of got to the end of the experiment because, for me, I was like, well, look, I have put on muscle and that was the main objective with it. You know, it wasn't about anything else. It was just to see if I can put on muscle. I started to feel like going on any longer than that. It would, I, I, I felt like I could peaked and it was, it was basically going to just be a decline from then on. So I was like, look, there's, there's no need for me to carry on anymore. So I basically knocked it on the head from there, declined the B12 injections. For me, um, I was like, look, this is self-inflicted through diet. So at least let me try and reverse with diet, see how that goes. If it's unsuccessful, then, then we'll do the injections. Um, so yeah, so I basically, after that, switched up my diet. The very, the very next day of switching up, it was like literally being born again. Like I, my receptors must have literally sucked in every nutrient possible. And then I got retested another two times after that. And yeah, level just kept going up, 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 up um, to a point where they said, because I actually ended up asking for the B12 injections. Because I, I then, I think I was going to experiment with the B12 injections to see, I can't remember what the objective was. But I was going to do something with that, um, but they basically wouldn't allow me to have them because they said you're not low enough anymore. So I guess it was a good thing. And that's, pretty much it with the fruit after that was it i never kind of went back to the fruit um and obviously within that period before the bodybuilding on the fruit i was fighting on the fruit diet so that was kind of like my comeback so i i, I retired in 2012 with fighting and then f- from sort of around that time right up until 2016 i was on fruit all that time and yeah fruit, in my comeback i sort of we're still fighting on the fruit diet. And I think that kind of, um, like there's a few videos on YouTube that have been uploaded that, and I, I guess people have like tagged it as like fruitarian destroys meat eater. <laughs> just makes no sense. It's like irrelevant <laughs> really. But um, yeah, so yeah, I had, I took a few fights on that. But yeah, I, I definitely say with the fighting, it, it didn't work great with me, the fruit diet, because what I noticed was I lost, I lost my aggression so in the past i was like i'm a real chilled person generally day to day like real laid back like i just don't care for yeah you know i could be in a life a, you know sort of life or death situation and i just be like ah, it's all good don't worry about it it's cool you know? but when it comes to the fight and i kind of have that switch where i i guess become a bit of a evil person and i kind of lost that once i went back to fighting and i've been on the fruit diet for a long time like a just lost that. And I guess a lot of that would have been like testosterone levels were low all throughout those years. And I, my, I guess my perspective was like, I didn't want to fight and sort of inflict pain on people. I just found, I kind of just sat back and was like, I don't get what the point is. And I just noticed it just affected the fight massively to a point where I was just like, I don't really want to be there. And that was when I really knew it was time to sort of, either change the diet or quit fine. So yeah, it didn't, yeah, didn't work too great with that. Yeah. What's your, your diet look like now? Now it is, it's a bit of everything. It's influenced massively by like a plant-based diet. I think, I think the idea of a plant-based diet is great in terms of, you know, getting a lot of greens in and stuff. But I guess how I look at it is that then I supplement that plant-based diet with things like fish meat now and then so i probably eat meat averagely once every two weeks maybe once a week maybe just depends fish i eat quite regularly so most days i'm eating some form of like wild caught caught fish and stuff i eat um eggs um i eat a lot of carbs like rice and stuff quinoa that sort of stuff so yeah it's it's a bit of everything don't eat much fruit if i'm honest i think i've literally put myself off fruit for life um 
yeah, I, I, I do struggle. I mean, I can eat fruit, but I just, it's just not something I go for. It's not the first choice anymore. But yeah, it's, 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 it's very, it's all over the place. I mean, what I have found is the more I train, the tougher I train, the more extreme my training becomes, the more I need to incorporate things like the fish, the meat, the carbs and stuff, the rice and stuff. If like, like I just perform better or recover quicker. And like, if say I'm on a rest week, I feel like going a little bit more down a plant-based diet works well. Like that's one thing I sort of found. Like what I kind of learned over the years is like all these different diet systems out there. I think I think they all they're all you know all great in their own in their own way. They've all got pros. They've all got cons. Um, there are benefits of a fruit diet for like a super super short short term, like a few days. They've all got benefits, and it's just I just look at them as all tools. And the same way, same way with my training. So like with my training, I've got all these protocols that I can use and I periodize stuff depending on where I am in my training, what I'm trying to accomplish. And I kind of look at the sort of diet the same way. So my diet is always switching depending on what I'm doing. So in short, long-term fruitarian, you wouldn't recommend that? Nah, I mean, I mean, see the other, the other, the other side of the fruitarianism, if you've got a lot of people that it, it's a spiritual thing. So they, you know, they say like it, it's like the optimal diet to become more spiritual and stuff. And I do, I do get that. And I did notice that definitely. Because throughout all this, all that time, I got massively into like yoga and meditation and stuff. And I think it does, it does help. It does help. But at the same time, I think there needs to be some form of balance. Like you can't go too far this way and just stay here. And I think being able to have some form of balance is sort of is sort of the key. So if if I was going to go long term through town, I don't think it would be like day in day out. Not that I would do it again, but um, yeah, I just think there needs to be some form of balance. Um, and that's why, like, if you look at most fruitarians, when they're like, they know they need to train because they get super skinny, super skinny. But it's just you, you just can't you can't you just can't really train on that sort of on that diet and expect miraculous results. So yeah, short term, short term works great. Uh, long term, definitely not. No, definitely not. I guess like you, you kind of touched on one of the hardest things with that kind of diet is just getting enough calories in because fruit yeah. just generally doesn't contain many calories. There's only so many like bananas you can eat in a day. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, what, what I did find right over the years of doing it, yeah, I, I started to find that so at first it's like oh, I'm hungry I'm so hungry I'm so hungry all the time just eating but then slowly you start to get used to eating less but and at the time I was like oh this is great it's cool yeah I can just eat a thousand calories a day of fruit and I'm fine and I did get on with my training I did get on with day-to-day stuff but if I now if I now look back on that my levels of performance drops like massively um, at the time you don't really see it you kind of I let myself sort of get sucked into that world and stuff and just go along with it um, but if I look back now like performance levels dropped massively like recovery dropped massively so like although you know I thought I was doing great at the time really just everything could all my levels of everything had just dropped and I wasn't performing as well but it's just hard to see at the time um, but yeah you do kind of get used to eating less but you're probably going to end up performing, you know, a lot worse, a lot worse. But having done that and having done other very different diets beforehand, you're now in a very mm. good position when it comes to speaking to clients and stuff like that about nutrition. You can really give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Experience. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's. I think a big part of me, like I always like to make sure I've got like hands-on experience with something. Like if I haven't personally done it, I'm not really going to talk about it or advise someone or give my take on it so a lot of the time while I'll, I'll do these things it's just so i'm like right i've read the theory I've, I've actually done it myself so now i've got a good idea and i mean even to this day now like even though i've got enough i'm not fruitarian um i never was like a hardcore fruitarian it was, it was like just a big experiment part of my life but i mean even to this day now i, I constantly get messages 
from people who's like, oh, I found you on, on YouTube. I, I want to be a fruitarian. I want to be able to build muscle on it. I can see that you, you're doing it. I need to know how to do it and stuff. And like to a point now where I actually give away, like every, every Thursday, I have like three hours of the day where I just, I let people book in consults for free. And it's, I mean, it's about any training or nutrition, but it, it ends up always being people asking about fruit stuff. Just because it's like, there's so many like these gurus out there who are like, this is the best diet in the world. They're sucking people in and it annoys me. It really does annoy me. And it's like, if I can kind of like, just sort of give them my experience and stuff to give them a better idea of really, you know, how it all is um, and help it. Do you know what I mean, it's just, I, th I think it's a good thing because like when I was trying to find out stuff, it, it was, it's hard. It's a hard thing to find out and you, you get sucked into all this, all this stuff with these people talking about all these things and it's like I found out the hard way, you know. I went through years and years and years of doing it and found out the hard way. So like, yeah, it's just, yeah, just mental. So yeah, I just like to just sort of do that because it's, I think it's just nice to be able to sort of help people with a little bit of, of knowledge on that yeah like you say there's so much misinformation out there yeah be able to kind of clear things up sometimes when it's you know channel four have got that michael mosley thing at the moment lose a stone in 21 days and it's <laughs> go and eat 800 calories a day well of course you're going to lose weight but exactly yeah no one's exactly. going to sustain that and people will try and they're making themselves yeah. good, but yeah it's, it's not what people should be doing no that's it that's it Exactly. Before, before we wrap things up, we're going back a little a little bit here, but I'm always interested mm. when we speak to people who do long distance events. Yep. You know, after 24 hours of running or whatever it is, what is the toughest part of that run for you? Toughest part of the run? Not necessarily the run, but like yep. any kind of endurance event. What yep. is the toughest part? I... I'd say probably like the the battle of that little voice saying to stop, just stop. It's I've, I've probably that really because I always get that voice, you know, when when things get real tough and it's just like just stop. You know, you've done enough. You have worked hard. You don't need to do any more. And it's like overcoming that is is tough, really tough. But then if you can just overcome that, it's like ah. Oh, okay cool it's not so bad now and i think usually that's 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 the toughest thing definitely for me that's what i've always found because it's easy just to be like that's that's enough you've worked so hard it's like when i said i got that that tear in my in my ankle it would have been easy to be like mate you've just damaged your ankle i know it's probably not the best thing to done but it was it would have been easy to have quit but yeah i'd say that is those sort of doubt and voices you get in your head for me definitely so throughout the whole of those um events or adventures mm. i'm assuming you suffer physical pain throughout yeah 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 definitely yeah. and that might seem like a silly question but yeah when, when you when people only because people do talk, just talk about the mental things a battle between yourself saying stop and so on but not many people talk about yeah how physically painful it is but Perhaps that's the difference of running for a few hours and being able to run over a day. Maybe it's being able to just yeah. accept it and put it to one side and just accept that you are in pain and that's it. That's it. It doesn't stop you from pursuing what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, the pain is pretty horrific in the long ones. But I mean, I don't know. I just kind of get on with it, really. If I'm honest, it's like, I mean, a part of the reason why I do these mountain ones is because it's like you're constantly in front of like amazing scenery and it's just like little things like that just can just, it just makes you remember like, yeah, this is what I'm doing and this is cool. Like to be out on your own in the middle of here. But, I mean, the pain is, the thing is, it's, I think it's one of those things like at the time, you know, it hurts, but it's not, it's not too bad. You can, you can kind of get on with it is what I find it's, it's when you stop. So like, as soon as you stop, that's when it, you really start to feel it. It's like the same with like fighting. It's like, get like, you know, I've had someone on top of me, elbowing me constantly in the face. 
and I'll sort of kind of laugh back at him as if like, you know, come on. And it's like, it doesn't really hurt. I mean, it hurts, but you don't really feel it. And then it's afterwards, you know, afterwards and you're like, oh shit, that's painful. Um, and I kind of, it's the same thing for me really um, with running. It's like, it's painful, you know, it's there, but I just get on with it. And it's not until I stop running when I'm like, shit, that really hurts. And then you have to get going again. So like that, that um, continuous loop race, yeah, that, that was pretty horrific to be fair, because you are stopping all the time. Like you do a loop and then you're stopping. And that's what, in the end, I ended up running so slow that I didn't really stop. Um, and if I did, it was, it was really short just because I was finding if I stopped and sat down for too long, like to get back up and stuff, it's just like, I can't, my legs hurt, my feet hurt, my toes hurt. Yeah. So like the physical stuff, I've kind of been all right. And the thing, I think I just, I enjoy, I enjoy the, the physical pain side of stuff. I, I like that side of it. Like I like it. I guess that's part of why I do it. I'm just like, yeah. Like if, if it's hurting, I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is, this is what I was looking for. <laughs> Bit weird. <laughs> well, some people it might be weird, but if that's, yeah. what, that's what makes your, um, you know, that's what satisfies your cravings. And but yeah. And I mean, it's what it's, it motivates me, you know, it's, I mean, if, I guess if I wasn't like that, I wouldn't be able to do half of the stuff that I sort of chuck myself into. Um, so I, you know, yeah, I should sort of make the most of it, really. Yeah, one day you won't be able to, so, you know, embrace it while you can. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, cool. Owen, thanks very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Um, no problem. Where can people find you, find out more about you? Yeah, um, so I'd say Instagram is one. It's just, uh, so it's Owen, and then my initials, OG. And then Gail, G-A-Y-L-E. So Owen, O-G, Gail. And then I do have a website, which is just my name, owengale.com. Um, that's just mainly used for people booking in these consults that I talked about. And then I usually update it with if I'm tr like training for something. And that is pretty much it. That's all I really use. That's the only two things I use. I, yo, YouTube, same thing, Owen, O-G, Gale. that's yeah main places really yeah cool luke same question yeah so on all socials it's i'm on zen anatomy so instagram is zen underscore anatomy uh facebook is zen anatomy sports therapy and my website's zenanatomy.co.uk cool i'm at poros pt and poros.pt.com and you can find the podcast at talking fit pod Thanks very much for joining us today and we will speak to you next time. Goodbye.